Okay, we're doing now Friday's portion, and this is the giving of the Tigra. So God, it says, chapter 19, verse 20. God descended upon Mount Sinai, to the top of the mountain. God summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses ascended. So Rashi questions this. It says that God descended, because it sounds like he descended. He went to the top of Mount Sinai. But there's another verse where it says that I spoke to you from the heaven. So how could the Torah in one verse tell us that he descended to the mountain and in the other tell us that he spoke from the heaven? So this teaches us as if, so to speak, he bent the upper and lower heavens and spread them over the mountain like a sheet on a bend. And the throne of glory descended. So by bending the heavens, God was both in the heavens and on Mount Sinai simultaneously. So remember, God has called Moses up to the top of the mountain. So God said to Moses, descend, warn the people, lest they will destroy, to God, the sea, and many would fall from among them. So warn the people, meaning warn them, don't go up to the top of the mountain. Usually this word in the Hebrew means to testify. Ha'ed is like uh, witnesses. But it has a secondary meaning of warn because warning usually takes place in the presence witnesses less will be destroyed because if they if they break their ranks and they go past the boundaries because they have such a desire to come close to God to see God's revelation they might get too close up the mountain and someone could get hurt it's interesting because it says less they will destroy in the plural but then someone would fall in the singular implying that Maybe only one person. There were three million Jews there physically at the time. Of course, every other soul was there as well. But maybe one person will do this, but that's already too many. That's already many before God. Then Rashi explains that destruction could mean, we usually think of destruction as, as destroying an inanimate structure. It could also be destroying an assembly. So if we have this arrangement of people in this organized assemblage, and then one breaks the ranks, that's destroying the position. The verse says, God said to Moses, sorry, we just did that one. Also the Kohen and the priests who came close unto God should prepare themselves, lest God will make a breach against them. So the priest here means the firstborn. Based on their behaviors actually at the giving of the Torah, they lost this privilege, but at this time, the priests are the firstborn. Those are the ones we mean as the priests of the people. And they're coming close to God. They're coming closer than the regular people because they're bringing the offering. But even though they are coming closer, they can't rely on their importance and say, oh, so we can come even closer up the mountain. They have to prepare themselves to stand in their position and not break their positions because then God can make a breach among them for those people that do so, which means they would die. And Moses said to God, the people will not be able to ascend Mount Sinai if you have warned us, saying we hold the mountain, bound the mountain, and sanctify it. So what Moses is responding to Rashi is, I don't need to warn them because they've been warned for three days. They know they can't go up. They know they don't have any permission to do so. In other words, why should I go and tell them this? They, they know this. We've been saying this for three days. God said to him, go descend, and you shall ascend, you and Aaron with you. But the priests and the people, they shall not destroy to ascend to God, 
lest he'll make a breach against them. So God is saying, like, go down and warn them anyway. Warn them a second time. You're saying you warn them. But we warn a person not only prior to the act, we also warn them at the time of the act. But the fact that you warned them at the beginning of this three-day period, that was three days ago. Right now it's going to happen. So you warn them again. Now Rashi's clarifying that by the verse saying, you shall send you and Aaron, but the priest, they're actually setting up three levels of Moses being able to ascend the closest to God. And then Aaron, who came closer than the priest. Then, of course, the priest and then the people. Now, Rashi has a grammatical Rashi. Well, if you look at this word in the Hebrew, it only works in the Hebrew, pen yifrot them, lest he'll make a breach in them. Because previously we had this exact same vowel, and then it was yifrot, and now it's yifrot. It switched from a chaylam to a kaman. And Rashi explains that the reason why it does so is this is the rule when you have a word that's in very close construction with the next word, the vowelizations change from the O to the A, from the Choylam to the Kamas. And the close proximity, if you look in the verse, it says Yifrat is linked to the word Bum. The fact that it's linked to that other word makes it, in its own grammatical construction, Yifrat, previously when we were just talking about the word separately in a vacuum, so to speak, it's Yifrat. And then Moses goes. Moses sent to the people and said to them. Moses gave over this message, as Rashi explains. He gave over this warning. Now, this was all preliminary. And now we have, this is the moment, the giving of the tongue, which has opened up an introductory verse. God spoke all these words to say. So the term for God in this verse is Elohim. Elohim means like judge, strength, discernment. So why is this the term we use to refer to God? In other words, the holiest of his names is the yud and and the vav and the hey, the four-lettered name, Havaya, Hashem. So why are we using specifically Elohim, which means judgment, the judge, at this moment? Oh, there are many answers. Rashi is saying is because God is giving us a message that you have to listen to these things. It's not optional. Like, for example, there's a commandment of sending away the mother bird to take the young. That's sort of big optional, meaning you don't have to go out of your house and go search for such and such scenario. If it comes across to you, beautiful. If not, fine, too. You didn't do anything wrong. But in terms of commandments, it's not like that. God wants us. He wants us to do everything of his will. So, in that case, we have to listen. And that we have to listen is the might of Elohim. It's not just, this is such a nice idea, it would be so sweet if you did it. No, no, no. This is Elohim here. This is the judge. There's going to be very exacting consequence for failure to keep the Ten Commandments. That says all of these things, all of these words teach us that God said all the Ten Commandments in one utterance, which is, of course, impossible for man to do. But if so, why does the verse then go on 
to have verse by verse each one of the Ten Commandments. In other words, if God said them in one sentence, obviously we need to hear all the words, so the Torah would have to write them, but it should just write one long verse which contains all Ten Commandments to express this idea of God saying it in one breath. But God didn't finish by saying it all in one breath. He went back then and repeated each one individually, each one separately. So since in the end, each one was said separately, therefore, each commandment is said in its own separate verse. And now we have here a word that's a very common word, but in this situation very perplexing, which is laymore saying. And God said these words saying. Now why is that perplexing? We have it all the time in Hamish. And usually like a common example will be, and God said to Moses, saying. Well, what's the function of the word saying? It's not just a flourish. It has a function. Saying means to give over to someone else. So when any time it says that God said to Moses, saying, it means that Moses is supposed to take what God said and give it over to the Jewish people. But here, there's no one to give it over to. Every single Jew was there. Every single Jew alive was there. And every single Jew that wasn't physically alive was present as well. So who are you going to say it over to? So Raj explains the word saying here means, not in its normal sense, but as if to say. That God spoke all these words to Israel for them to say and answer in response to his words. What are they supposed to say? So it says they're supposed to say on the positive they would say yes, and on the negative they would say no. In other words, they're in complete consensus and complete agreement. Yes, yes, no, no, exactly as you say. And now we have the first verse. I am God your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slaves. So Rashi explains that only for this reason, if all we could say about God is he took us out of Egypt, it's sufficient reason for us to subjugate ourselves to God. In other words, this is a classical question. Why is God here identifying himself as the one who took the Jews out of Egypt? Isn't it a bigger deal to say the one who created heaven and earth? Yeah, in a sense, of course, that's a bigger deal. But the fact that I took you out of Egypt, therefore you have to subjugate yourself to me. And that's why I'm mentioning that. Another reason that Rashi gives is that God here is expressing himself like a, a wise old man for, full of mercy and compassion for the Jews suffering in Egypt. By the sea, in the plague, God looked like, so to speak, the warrior. So God is saying, I've, so to speak, changed my appearance. You saw me in my warrior mode. Now you see me in my wise sage mode. No, there's not two divine powers. I'm not multiple divine powers. There's one God, and I, who seem now as this compassionate saved, I'm the same one as a warrior that took you out of Egypt. There's only one God. Another explanation is that God is identifying himself through the Exodus because the Jews heard many sounds at the time of the revelation at Mount Sinai. That they came from all four directions and from the heaven and from the earth. The person could say, wow, there's a lot of gods here. I'm hearing voices from all over. But God's saying, no, the only one, just me. Now, another question we could ask on this is why here, when God is 
giving over the commandments, he's saying them in second person singular. I am your singular God. And he's talking to millions and millions of people and millions and millions and millions of souls. So you would think he would say, I am yours, you know, plural, God. And Rashi says this is to ultimately give a defense for Moses that after the Jews sin with the golden calf, Moses is going to tell God, God, why are you angry at them? You didn't tell them they can't worship God. You only told me. You were speaking to me the whole time. I took you out from the house of slaves, the Rashi says. Does this mean they were slaves in a slave's house? They were slaves to slaves? Or are they slaves to Pharaoh? So this is clarified in another verse where it says, And God redeemed you from the house of slaves, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So here the house of slaves means they were slaves to the king. Not slaves to slaves, but slaves to Pharaoh. Second commandment. There shall not be unto you the gods of others before me. There should not be unto you. Why are we saying this? Because in other places, it's going to say in the following verse, you should not make for yourself a graven image. But if we just said that one verse, the second one, the only we haven't said yet, you shouldn't make it, we would think, well, if someone else makes it for me, it's fine. So therefore, we have to say this as well. No. Not only is it forbidden to make an idol, it's forbidden to keep an idol. They're both forbidden. Now, they're termed here gods of others. What does this mean, gods of others? It doesn't mean like other gods, which might be how you translate this, but that others make them gods over them. Others, we can't say other gods because there are no other gods. There's only God. Another explanation of other gods will be that these, those who speak gods, make themselves others to those who worship them because obviously they have no power. They're screaming and screaming and screaming and praying and doing all sorts of things, and God's ignoring you. They are gods that are others to their worshippers because they, as they go about, and as people could turn to them and pray to them, and they just are like stones. <laughs> they're not responding. So they're others to those that are making them God. Now the verse said, you should not have these gods of others before me. Before me, Rashi says, leave me before me. What do we need those words for? As long as I exist, which means forever. So in other words, this is to ensure that one wouldn't say, well, the generation at Sinai, they were commanded against idolatry, but not us. No. As long as I exist, which means forever, don't serve idols. Of course, we're very complacent when we read this commandment because, hey, I haven't served an idol recently. But just on a more subtle level, there's lots of different idols, lots of different forces we might choose to worship, lots of different powers we think have an ability to control our life. Of course, the only thing that really controls our life is God. Sometimes we slip and worship idols. 